Hello, everyone. I'm Welcome. That's funny because you don't know what Amanda says. Hello, everyone. I'm Trendlers. Welcome to another edition of Roll Route to the program where we gather every day at this time, Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. And it's not Amanda Radke that got me to such a chuckle at the beginning. It's our guest, John Aries. I only bring uh, the best. Yeah, apparently. Amanda, what's going on? <laughs> well, you know, every Thursday we have a chat, and lately the theme has been on debunking some of the misconceptions in the beef industry, particularly uh, on the environmental front. And I saw the other day John Wynn's mother was proudly talking about how she's going to be on a, having a TED Talk here coming up soon to tackle the topic of cattle and climate. And of course, I just need to hear the whole TED Talk basically on the show. So thus our guest. <laughs> so wait a minute, John, when, is this preparation and rehearsal for the TED Talk? Have you already done the TED Talk? I have not done the TED Talk yet. It's happening in Hamilton, Montana on the 27th of this month. So it's coming up close and it's getting pushed pretty hard on social media, <laughs> especially by my mom. <laughs> <laughs> hey that's Very what moms proud. do <laughs> um one of you and I, we'll have john one do this i think it would be wise to uh explain what the heck is a ted talk anyway a tedx talk is something that has become extremely popular i would say within the last 20 years of um, public speakers who are being streamed on YouTube and different social media platforms underneath that TED um, company. And I think that it's truly a unique audience, especially for an agriculturalist or someone speaking about cattle and climate change, simply because it will reach people that we have really never reached before. And finding those different audiences on TED is something I'm really excited about. So a lot of these speeches will be streamed in classrooms. A lot of teachers use them as teaching tools um, and different podcasts that people just are curious about the world. And I think that it's a great platform. I think this is a huge opportunity because we both, all three of us know, we'll include Amanda because she's sitting right here looking at us, um, that people who want to convince the world that cows are part of the climate change problem have been aggressively using such platforms and we have been somewhat reluctant. Is that a fair statement? I would say that is a fair statement. Our consumers have asked a question and it's time for us to answer it as widespread as we possibly can. So I noticed you're being promoted with a dozen speakers or so. Are their topics similar? Or is there a tie-in or is everybody very random as far as topics go? It seems like they're extremely random as topics go. Many of the speakers are actually from the Western Montana area and I was born there, um, but that's not where I currently reside. And so I've, I'm finding that my topics is, is extremely different, but they are very diverse topics. Anything from um, different caregivers and where even people's clothes come from. So I would say I'm probably the most agricultural topic and especially food choices topic. I have a very good state, a very good friend who's a state legislator from Hamilton, Montana. We need, might need to make sure that Teresa Manzella is present when you get there. Let's get her there. Yeah. Uh, why Hamilton, Montana? 
I'm unsure. It was simply an invitation. And I thought that it was a very unique invitation because I grew up in Stevensville, um, which is very close to Hamilton. And I felt very honored to invite a lot of my educators from my early elementary school days and a lot of fellow ranchers that we'd run cows with um, to invite them and buy tickets for this event. I I think it's a little um, just unique experience that it is from where I grew up and where I fell in love with ranching in the first place. It's simply where I was invited to speak. Mm. We so had an Arise USA event in Hamilton, Amanda, just so you know. Well, you've been everywhere, so that doesn't <laughs> I know, but, but Montana's a big place, and we happen to have one of our events at a church in the same town she's going to. That's kind of cool, I think. Better have a reunion there. <laughs> good idea what day are we all showing up in hamilton again john one the 27th <laughs> okay see you then amanda you're, i interrupted you you were gonna say so how did this ted talk come to be i mean you're you're newly graduated high school kid going to college at blackhawk college in illinois trent on a livestock judging team and now you find yourself on a, a ted talk wait state. a minute whoa 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 you allowed Dan Hogue to influence your life in some way, shape, or form? Completely. <laughs> I enjoy Dan. This conversation is over. Thanks, John, for joining <laughs> us. Go ahead. I figured to, that would trigger you, Trent. <laughs> to answer your question, I was actually in an animal science lecture, and it was just wrapping up, but I was sitting next to a very close friend of mine and I get a Facebook message and it was from an individual I didn't have a ton of mutual friends with and it mentioned a TED talk. And at first I was hesitant and kind of reluctant to actually think this is too good to be true. And on Facebook, who knows what I'm going to get messaged about. Um, and I started to dig a little deeper and this was the real deal. Um, and I've just been coordinating back and forth with different speaking trainers and different people within this event to make it really happen. And I would, what the invitation traced back to was an article that was written about me in the Angus Journal about my national FFA prepared public speech. So it all roots um, from my FFA experience and that passion that I had for speaking. And then the passion that I wanted to talk about cows is what I told my ag teacher when I was a junior. I was done with my sophomore topic and I wanted to talk about cattle production and their positive influences on the climate. So it all rooted from my FFA experience and then I was sitting in class and got a Facebook message and the room of my close friends, they were very, very supportive and celebratory. And I'm, Hogue might have been in the room as this news was happening. I don't recall if he quite knew exactly what we were all talking about in terms of a TED talk, but I'm excited to share it with him as well. So, John, when you know what's most interesting about this is <clears throat> I learned what a TED talk was because of a gentleman who had given a TED talk about how cows are the most vital part of improving the climate. And in particular, the re, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, to, to get rid of the deserts. Uh, that the answer to that is cows. Mm -hmm. Pardon? Desertification. Is that the there word? There you, you go. Use? Yeah. Do you know who gave that TED Talk? Isn't that Alan Savory? Well, I was asking John one, but yes, Amanda, you get an A oh, for the day. Oh, sorry. Well, I got all excited because that was, <laughs> that was kind of my introduction into TED Talks too, because that one's been circulated far and wide. And so that's why this got me excited about you, John, because it's like, here's 
a new opportunity to reach, frankly, a younger demographic. Absolutely. People that are tuning into this conversation and they're finding information about cattle and climate on TikTok and taking it as gospel. And so there's this is just a new pathway, I think, to get that information out there um, to a different type of demographic. So are you familiar with Alan Savory? That's the question. Yes, that was um, one of the many TED Talks that I would watch before I formulated my argument and kind of my my perspective on this entire agricultural issue. Um, and I loved that TED Talk and listening to TED Talks is something that I find enjoyment in. And I hope that many consumers that might have heard misconceptions about cattle production do listen to mine as well. Well, I think that we can help make that happen. Amanda, have you given a TED Talk? No, I'm not that cool. I've have had you? people, well, no, I haven't because I'm not cool either. But I have had people for 15 years say, you need to give a TED Talk. And I'm like, okay. But then I don't follow through. It takes somebody like John one who actually has an idea, then follows through to make it happen. That's how you influence people. So kudos to you. Yeah. Right up to that point when you moved to East Kewanee, Illinois. You know what town he is. <laughs> of course he does. Yeah. I can tell you how to get there, too, from Peoria, Galesburg, or Quincy, wherever you yep. want to come from. All Many right, different we directions. Are, uh, yeah. How do you know Illinois so well? All roads lead to Kiwani is what I've been told. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it took 30 hours to get there. Are you, uh, are you a horse enthusiast as well? I'm more cattle production. I call myself okay, a four-wheeler cowgirl. They got a horse professor there that you, you just need to stay away from. He's bad news. We'll be back with more Roll Route. I'll probably see you this weekend. I'll probably hear about that one. More Roll Route after this. Right off the bat today, let's talk about Certified Piedmontese, the opportunity to be a part of a brand of beef program that pays dividends, gets you closer to the consumer's food dollar. That's the moral of the story. You know, what we're talking about here today with John Wynn is about sustainability the ability to continue to take care of land and livestock to improve human health and improve the planet. But along with that, you need to get paid the proper amount for what it is you produce. Lone Creek Cattle Company and the Certified Piedmontese System has devised a plan that accomplishes that extremely well. Get more details, number one, about the products at CertifiedPiedmontese.com. Check out what it is that people are demanding and how they're buying it. And then if you'd like, if you're a Great Plains cattleman and you would like to be a part of the supply chain for that, then get details and find the phone number to call at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. They've even got lamb now at CertifiedPiedmontese.com. Check that out. Welcome back. We're all route. Trent Lewis alongside John Wynn Aries. They do okay on that, John Wynn? Aries. Airs. Yeah, there you See, go. I was making fun of Amanda earlier, and then I screwed it up. Amanda Radke. <laughs> well, do you know how many syllables I would put in the state Ayers. she is from that she doesn't say? Yeah, I, I do. You you call it Oregon. Yes. <laughs> Oregon. 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 What? What? John, when why did your family move from Montana to Oregon? In western Montana, my dad managed a ranch um, called Wilbarrow Creek Ranch, and that ranch sold out in about 08. Um, and then we moved to Oregon, 
my both of my parents are past ag teachers and so different ag teaching jobs and also we just have so much more family in this area and in all reality it's where we could find enough lease pasture and now um, a ranch here at my mom's place and it's simply where we landed because it was where pasture was the most readily available. Um, I do love Montana. It has such a special place in my heart. And I absolutely love Western Montana where I did grow up. And I think it's just kind of you follow your cows when you're, when you're a production agriculturalist, especially in cattle production. You kind of have to go wherever the grass is. So my perception of that region of Southwest Oregon would be more deeded property as opposed to the eastern half of Oregon, which is uh, federal or state-owned land. Is that an accurate assessment? I would say that is an accurate assessment. I, I can't recall the exact percentage, but the majority of Oregon is federal land, which I think is extremely interesting in the different ways that we manage it. Um, but you are correct. Eastern Oregon is very much so BLM and federal ground. So my real question, Jonathan, was that you, your family doesn't have uh, land leases from the federal government in, in federal land you run on deeded property? Yes, correct. Not that that's good or bad. I'm just trying. It, it's all about your knowledge base, right? When you're dealing with federal land issues, it expands your whole vast knowledge of what's going on, which reminds me of my favorite Oregon study which I did not share today on Across the Pond that I should have, but this came out of uh, a Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, in fact, out, out by Burns, Oregon. When cattle graze land, excuse me, I back up, that's not what the study says. When grazing animals are involved with land, the migratory fowl use that land 17 times more than if there was no grazing. I, I clarify because it didn't exactly say cattle. It just talked about grazing animals, but obviously cattle is the predominant grazing animal. Cattle are vitally important to migratory fowl too. That that's Is that part of your TED talk? I wouldn't say that exactly migratory fowl are, but different biodiversity that cattle can be a positive influence on is something that is definitely going to be touched. Um, I have a funny story in Western Montana when my dad was managing that place. It was actually on Lee Metcalf Wildlife Refuge, I believe, and mm -hmm. um, they were going to start to correlate and graze some cattle there. And everyone thought that the cows won't graze anywhere near the cattails. And they, of course they do. They kind of look like hippopotamuses. <laughs> and those cattails, um, the biodiversity was absolutely amazing that was happening in a wildlife refuge in front of the public. And I, I remember thinking as a little girl, this is funny. Um, but now I really realize the importance of the different areas that cattle can be grazed and the different amazing synergistic ways that they can um, be involved in major different majorly different climates mm -hmm. and so what let's get into the meat and potatoes of your presentation because i am just really interested to hear kind of what your hook is and and how you're going to to bring an audience that maybe doesn't care at all about cows um into kind of what you have to say just to be clear john when i i think your your show, your uh, ted talk is about the meat there may not be any potatoes involved in her ted talk amanda <laughs> just saying <laughs> um, no, exactly. I, I don't talk about much, much potatoes. <laughs> yeah. um, but I really discuss cattle's digestive processes, their greenhouse gas emissions, carbon sequestration abilities and oil benefits. And 
I all just explain how this this be better explained so that all consumers will understand that they can eat beef with not just a clear conscience, but a green one is really my hook. Um, and talking about different green ways that cattle are so positive for our environment. In the beginning of my TED talk, I won't disclose too much, but I really just describe what a young girl sees on a cattle ranch and how absolutely beautiful the water is, how beautiful the sky is and pristine and luscious the grasses are. And so I just wanna bring people with me through not only what the ranching lifestyle is, but also the facts of that cattle sequester carbon and offset any emissions that they ever create. And that that's such a special and unique system that we're all a part of that the consumer isn't quite, hasn't quite wrapped their heads around yet. And I just want to guide them to realizing that beef is a green option. You mentioned the consumer. What about your peers, the 15 to 25 year old? What are your conversations with them about as it involves beef production and consumption? I simply challenge um, peers my age. Let's continue to have discussions with one another. Um, when you're curious about where your food comes from, look at both sides of the discussion and simply understand and have a bigger understanding of this huge system that we're all a part of and that ruminant livestock are a part of that healthy environment and a part of saving the planet. And I think that that's a key perception that students my age are especially missing. A unique opportunity, I was a state officer um, last year and I took a year off serving Oregon FFA and I would talk a lot about this topic in classrooms all across the state of Oregon. And many students really didn't even realize that it was an issue and that they needed to be more aware that cattle production and cattle producers are environmentalists and we do care extremely deeply about our land. And that was something that I enjoyed to open the eyes of high school students during my year. You actually had a ballot initiative that speaks to the consumption of animal products <clears throat> before their natural death. Did that factor into your discussions in the last six months? It would factor into my discussions. And that's an extremely unfortunate discussion. But I think that it's a discussion that, of course, needs to be made in my state and young agriculturalists and I think the power of the Blue Jacket and FFA members and 4-H members discussing that within their communities is extremely important. Um, no matter what side of the discussion, whether we're talking about animal rights activists or climate activists. John, I think I made a mistake. We should back up and you should explain to people what I was talking about with your ballot initiative. So in the state of Oregon, it actually didn't get a ton of discussion and recognition because it was shut down pretty quickly. Um, but much like the state of Colorado and uh, the state of this, the state of California as well, was really discussing um, different practices that were within production agriculture and animal agriculture, and it would make a safe haven state for animals within Oregon. So there wouldn't there wouldn't any longer be the use of animals for really, quite frankly, anything. And different things that I found that were really unique within the Oregon one specifically were the stopping of AI um, and the stopping of a lot of technologies that just make us that much more efficient within the beef industry. 
Um, but like I said, it was shut down pretty quickly, thankfully, and the discussion didn't really last all that long because we knew that it wouldn't last long in our capital, thankfully. Um, I, I, my bit of advice, though, is ramp up the discussion because mm -hmm. it's not going to go away. The people who support it will just retool and try to figure out. And so my recommendation for everybody in Oregon, as I contribute in Colorado more because it's closer, is, you know, artificial insemination. Great example. It's a tool that has allowed us to contribute to producing more with less. We have an ever-growing population. There are people that think we can't feed that ever-growing population. And we can when we, as farmers and ranchers, are allowed to utilize the tools that are available to produce more with less. That's, at the end of the day, what we accomplish. And we produce three times more beef today with the same number of cows that we had in 1952, thanks to these innovations. And yet what that particular ballot initiative would have done was charge you with a sex crime if you were found guilty of artificially inseminating a cow and you couldn't eat that cow until it dies a natural death these are discussions that need to happen not just hide it under the rug i'm not talking to you john i'm talking to the general public that we just we must explain how this all works and it's part of the cycle of life i'm over time we're halfway through we'll be back with more roar out after this just enough time now to remind you about life powered by coal. You know, we talk about cattle grazing. We talk about the ecosystem. Well, one of the forces of nature is coal that when burned creates a tremendous number of BTUs that can be captured and can light up the nation and the world. Lignite makes it happen, but it's people behind the scenes that truly make it all come together. Lignite Energy Council does a, a tremendous job putting these people on the forefront. Watch the videos. Go to the website, lignite.com, and get the details about how healthy it is. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside Amanda Radke waiting for Rebecca to send me some flares after that comment. Well, she'll, she'll be in touch. John went airs. Got it right this time, didn't I? Yes, you did. Good job. Right, thanks. Hey, it only took me half an hour. <laughs> you know, you always... Go ahead. Well, well, listening to you two speak in the last segment and what's what kind of dawned on me and what I've been saying in my speeches across the country is that definitive confidence that we have a story to tell in the beef industry. It's a story we need to celebrate because it's a success story that beef producers are able to utilize the land and the natural resources in a way that allows us to produce more beef and more byproducts using fewer natural resources and improving the landscape, protecting wildlife habitat, all of these things at the same time. And so instead of kowtowing to demands of, of people who frankly want to strip us off the land and take away our ability to raise beef in this country. Instead, we need to go on the offense and celebrate what we do well and, and you know, hold our head high and get that story out there. And I, I feel that's what we're doing wrong in the industry right now is we're just constantly behind the eight ball, constantly chasing those cow fart headlines um, because we feel like we have to defend ourselves at every turn. Yeah, it, it's burps, just to be clear. Well, the media says farts, so there's your starting point to debunk in the first Yeah, place. absolutely. 
And, and and the other part is methane is a natural element. We can't function without methane. And to think that God put something here that was going to kill us is beside the point. But John, when the question really is, if I can modify, I'm not modifying anything. I'm just taking Amanda's sentiment and saying, how do we communicate that? What have you found is the most effective tool? Obviously, TED Talks is going to be that platform in one way. I really find that the most effective tool is truly being positive and answering questions no matter where you find yourself. I think that as producers and as agriculturalists, we have the exciting opportunity to reach out. The public wants us to answer. The public enjoys, at least in my experience, listening to our stories and exactly where cattle producers are working so hard every single day to be stewards of the land and, and environmentalists and and dare I say it, but we were the first animal rights activists. And I think that whenever I sit on an airplane, if someone does want to listen to where I've come from or where I'm going, I do, I do give a little spiel and you'd be surprised the amount of questions that I get um, just in the public and as a young agriculturalist and students even want to know, hey, John Wynn, how can I be a better advocate? How can I have some different sound bites so that someone who might not know about production agriculture can learn a little bit more. And I think that that's extremely unique. I think every agriculturalist should have in their back pocket some cool facts and also understand that they have a very important story. One of my favorite things to describe to people who talk about methane is like you said, Trent, it is a natural cycle. But what I also think is very, very special is whether a cow eats a blade of grass or they don't consume a blade of grass. So whether there's cattle on the pasture or not, the, the, de, the decom, decomposition process of forages causes methane anyways. So why wouldn't we upcycle and use it with a ruminant that can create such a nutrient dense protein? And most people aren't talking about that, is that whether we utilize the land or not, it will decompose and create methane. So we might as well utilize cattle production to create what I think is one of the most perfect, most nutrient-dense foods on the face of the earth. Or it will burn and do the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which causes more devastation because the animals did not graze. But, John, the three of us can have this discussion, and we can go to the <clears throat> National Western, where I look forward to being this weekend, and Fine. we'll have this discussion within our circles. But what you just said is a completely foreign concept to people that don't get the cycle of life. There has to be some way other than just sharing it to, to get people to really pay attention. I, st I still think the best and most powerful way is storytelling. Um, no matter where you find yourself, people do want to listen to our stories and they do want to have discussions with fellow ranchers is what I've seen. Um, and I think that education is also a huge, huge tool that we can utilize as well. I think that agricultural education is so important and something that needs to be discussed within those classrooms is cattle production and how ruminant livestock are unique and have such a superpower on these unfarmable lands. So I think that my two cents would be, let's share our stories, no matter our backgrounds within agriculture. And let's also highlight agricultural education, because that is a powerful tool across the country. I, I would agree with you. Well, I don't, Trent, you want to go? 
No. Well, I said I, I would agree with you on the storytelling thing. Um, you know, you, you're you telling this story right now and radio listeners can't hear it or see it, but there's a beautiful painting behind you of cattle grazing on green grass, blue skies, beautiful trees. It's a picturesque story. And where are consumers seeing that right now that we could take a page from? It would be the show Yellowstone. I mean, I don't want Hollywood telling my story at all. I mean, I, I just don't. But at the same time, we're seeing that Yellowstone has brought it to the forefront that people want more cowboy culture. They want the rugged masculine men and the adventure and excitement of working the land and being around livestock. Our industry is really cool. And, and frankly, it's, it's sexy. It's exciting. It's attractive. So I feel like if we can take control of that story, that narrative and bring people into the into the fold and allow them to be a part of what we're doing, it brings us excitement around our product. And I'm seeing that on social media with um, the homesteader movement where people are like, I'm tired of city life. I want to be more self-sufficient. I'm going to buy one acre and have some chickens and have a garden. They want to be a part of our story. They want to be a part of agriculture. And I, I feel that's our entry point. No, I, I, can, I completely agree with that perspective. And I do think that that is a powerful tool um, of our culture. And I think that our culture is something that needs to be shared more and that then ind individuals would understand that just like is above me, it's the most beautiful pastures and bluest skies that I've ever seen. And when you walk into a city, it's not quite the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I struggle with part of what you said, obviously. I mean, of course. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the whole Yellowstone thing is very problematic for me. So I'm going to give you more background than you really need. Uh, you know, I have this little dabble in where I was part of making a film. And at one point in time, a few years ago, it was hanging in 2018, to be exact, was hanging with folks in Hollywood and somebody who's been in Hollywood for 30 plus years, a tremendous person uh, has separated herself from the Hollywood mix because it doesn't represent what she wants for a future. But she told me in 2018 that Hollywood was laughing at, excuse me, Kevin Costner because he was going to do this hick cowboy thing called Yellowstone and everybody in Hollywood was just shunning him and shunning that whole movement. And here we are now where Hollywood has embraced this. You can't turn anywhere, no matter what part you can be in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and where I just was last weekend and the Hollywood or the, excuse me, the Yellowstone phenomenon is taking place and the rodeos and the everyday life. What's what's changed? Why why did this go from a joke to the greatest thing Hollywood has done in quite some time? And now we've got offshoots. We got two, three different offshoots of, of Yellowstone. There's one change. Chinese investment came into this project, and now we are relying on Chinese money and a guy named Dakin Wang 
to be a part of explaining our cowboy culture and our importance of the beef industry. More problematic to me is that I hear people all across this country say, yeah, we just need more Kevin Costner. We need Kevin Costner to be in political office. Are you paying attention to what Kevin Costner is trying to do politically in the state of Montana with Jim Forte, the governor? He's challenging him on every single answer. And Jim Forte is a good governor in this state or in this nation and representing the interest in the national re natural resources of the state of Montana. He's doing a good job. And Kevin Costner is beside himself. In fact, last week he said, I really don't care about my reputation and my political stance. I'm going to stand up for what I think is right. He's a liberal. And yet well, we think he's part of the answer. I, I, I just, I have no time for this. Well, Trent, you missed the part where I said, I don't want Hollywood telling my story. And I, to prefer, to, uh, to be clear, I stopped watching Yellowstone after season one because the swearing and murders and all the things that hap were happening on the show um, I mean, it's fine for a drama, but when I'm running into people in airports when I'm going to do speeches and they're saying, so is your life just like Yellowstone? And I'm thinking, no, it couldn't be farther from the truth because the people I know in agriculture have integrity and character and they believe in God and they take care of each other and they're neighborly and we help each other in a crisis. And I don't walk into a room and think someone's going to burn my house down and you know, kill my family because of a land deal. Um, so yeah, it's problematic it, going all the way back to China. But that's what I'm saying. The culture is falling in love with Yellowstone. And now that they have, now that the cowboy, the fake cowboys have their attention, now it's time for the real cattlemen and cattlewomen to get out and share the story. That's not going to happen, Amanda. It's attractive. It's going to happen. Not, it's, it's not going to happen. The average cattleman, cattle owner is not going to do what John Wynn is doing. They're going to take care of their cattle. They're going to continue to just live in a bubble until they can't do it anymore. Well, I disagree because I've been I've been seeing young people like John Wynn that are like mm -hmm. making Instagram reels and TikToks and they're making agriculture. I have all the faith in the world of the, that generation. I do. But the, okay. the people like me are not going to do it. 50, well, Trent, 55 to 70 year olds are not going to do it. John, when is your dad going to do TikTok and going to go out and do public speaking on the importance of the beef industry? I don't even I think he wants me to get off of TikTok more than he wants to be on TikTok. Um, but I do agree with Amanda I want you off the of TikTok culture, too, by the way. <laughs> Roll route. I interrupt you right now because we're going to come back and talk about this when we return <laughs> with the last segment. John Wynn airs after this. Let's talk about protecting the harvest details about how you can enable yourself and maintain a free and fed America are on the website protecttheharvest.com. Let's float over here. The Protect the Harvest chapter banquet is going to take place on the 21st day of January. Can you believe today's the 12th? You inverse those numbers, you get the 21st. That's how you remember it. Five o'clock is the social hour. It happens at the Ozark Empire Fairgrounds, Springfield, Missouri. You don't need to go to the event to contribute. You can go to the website, protecttheharvest.com. But it's a partnership with Whitetails Unlimited. You know, people understand that farmers and ranchers are responsible for habitat of the wildlife. You can be a part of the solution. Protecttheharvest.com for a free and fed America. Welcome back, Trent Lewis, alongside Amanda Radke, John Wynn Ayers, joining us from Oregon. What an articulate young lady. Okay, I had to interrupt you, John Wynn. Is your dad still teaching 
ag- agriculture? He's not. No, he he enjoys uh, selling cattle and auctioneering. He's an auctioneer. Days. Is he yes, any good? He Can he cry good? Is he a good crier? I would say when I was young, I would call auctioneers. It sounded like they were talking in like a baby voice, a baby talk voice. And I thought it was really fast. Um, but I do think that dad has graduated from auctioneering in the swather to now he auctions at some different Angus sales that are around Oregon. <laughs> That's hysterical. I used to auction off light poles or red items driving down the road. <laughs> no, dad would be in the swather or, um, and I would come visit him and I would bid. So like my left hand was one buyer and my right hand was the other. And let's just say it wasn't very budget friendly um, practice. Oh, is there a TikTok of that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> Maybe people would enjoy that more than Yellowstone. <laughs> no, I don't mean to be critical of that. It's just that <laughs> I, I know too much, I, I but Okay, John, I don't know. You can weigh in anywhere you want on this Yellowstone conversation. I don't expect you to. Or when baby calves on Yellowstone come out and they're about 130 pounds walking around. (laughs) (laughs) That was hard to buy. (laughs) So I, 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 unlike a man, I never watched the first trailer, let alone the first series or the first season. Although, Although I have friends who watch it. And just this week, I had a discussion with somebody that's as skeptical as I am about the entire movement and motive of Yellowstone. And this friend of mine said, but you know, my dad watches it. And my dad said that this week they have an animal rights activist or this season, they have an animal rights activist who's on there and they're explaining things that we, we are reluctant to even talk about ourselves, such as the reintroduction of wolves, uh, such as things that happen in a real, somebody Somebody is influencing what the screenwriters are doing for that program. I'd like to find out who that is, but there's just so many questions for this whole concept. You were talking about, I don't watch many seasons or many episodes, but I was, and sometimes when you're working and you're listening to whatever the family is watching, um, they were talking about beef prices. And I was astonished that it was, it was accurate information. Um, and mm-hmm. it was information that many of us don't talk about. And the packer and the different um, relationships between the producer all the way to the consumer. And I was blown away that this was happening on a television show. So, I mean, there are some pros and cons to everything that we encounter. But I do think that there are some positives to highlighting that culture and also talking about agricultural issues on a television show produced by Hollywood is something we haven't seen. Trent, she's going to school to be a lawyer, by the way. She can talk circles around us. I didn't know that part. <laughs> from from now forward, I just have one thing. I plea the fifth. <laughs> uh, just to your point, gentlemen, th- that conversation with my friend also included what you just described, uh, real world issues that are affect cattlemen today. So back to somebody... I think I know who it is, but somebody is uh, directly or indirectly influencing the writers of that program. So, wow. Thanks, Amanda. I had no idea that we would spend uh, uh, nearly a whole segment talking about that today. Neither did poor John Wynn, and she's never coming back. <laughs> never going to be back on those two poor people's programs. <laughs> 
Oh, I do apologize. Sometimes we have to get on a soapbox about things, but <laughs> no, I'm I, thoroughly enjoying myself. <laughs> you know, in this last segment, I think it would be good just to kind of dive in more on kind of your sticking points of your speech of like, if, if you had the people who watch Yellowstone listening right now, what do you wish they knew about the cattle industry? I truly wish that they simply knew that agriculturalists, we are progressive by nature and left to our own ingenuity, cattle producers will continue to be a competitive natural carbon sink. And I think that carbon sequestration is a key word that individuals need to start discussing more because I think that there's extreme opportunities, not only for profit of different carbon credits, especially in my state for cattle producers to get. And the fact of the matter is that I would love to see on every single package of beef for it to be labeled how much carbon was sequestered in order to produce that product. And I think that that is something that would stop this entire argument in its tracks is the fact that cattle and brood cows out on pasture are sequestering so much carbon per acre per year to offset any type of emission that's happening within um, our feeding processes or transportation of these animals. And I think that that's so special and so unique. Another thing that I would love to challenge consumers and producers alike to do is we do need to discuss these alternatives and talk about the fact that these alternatives are not better for the environment. They still require fossil fuels and it would take up too much of our valuable farmland to replace our proteins with something that's artificial and quite frankly, sludge in factories instead of the nutrient dense high quality beef that is on unfarmable and unusable land that would turn into methane anyways, like I talked about. And I think that that cycle is really important and needs to be celebrated um, so that we all understand just how unique and profitable and carbon sequestering beef truly is. I'm glad you brought up the carbon discussion because it's it's definitely something I'm passionate about talking about, but I have a little different perspective. And I, I see Trent sitting on something. You want me go to go? With, or you? Go with your carbon. So I, I feel like the carbon discussions are leading to our own demise. I feel like that is what I'm talking about when I say we can't kowtow to the demands of environmental extremists who think that we're never going to be green enough, no matter what we do. And frankly, I think carbon credits are money laundering for corporations and big companies to continue to do what they're going to do while buying these carbon credits on the people that are already doing the great things. I think the devil is in the detail on some of these deals and, it, and it's gonna end up being uh, damaging to private property owners and landowners that are running livestock because you're allowing a third party onto your your lands and they're going to be able to dictate what you do and how you do it in the future. And I, I feel like when we use their language, we are, we are helping to elevate the platform that will continue to push it inch by inch to where we no longer exist. Um, and so I'm very careful with that where I say um, we're, we're already green. It's a, it's a story we're celebrating. It can certainly be a marketing opportunity for people. But if I have to try to reach carbon zero when I know that carbon is essential for life, I feel like, I, I feel like I'm virtue signaling in a way that's actually going to hurt people and lead to starvation. 
But like you said, and and what I was truly getting at is simply the marketing and the promotion of those extremists. And if they do want to start the carbon discussion, we can answer um, in an extremely proficient way of just how much carbon cattle can sequester is something I do think needs to be communicated with consumers. Now, do I agree with um, everyone utilizing carbon credits? No, but do I agree with starting some of those discussions? Yes, um, that carbon is a cycle that consumers, if they're asking the question, it does need to be answered. Yeah, I agree with the dialogue. I agree with Amanda wholeheartedly. We, we cannot put on the label everything people want on the label because the label is not big enough once you put that on there then there'll be something else and it will never be enough and so i think it's important to have that discussion but to me where you started is the most compelling argument anybody could ever make for planet health and that is what happens if a grazing animal does not consume that forage it decays and creates the same emissions that it would have before. And you don't have an upcycling of a protein that has the most abundant amino acid profile you can find. It could be beef. It could be lamb, whatever the case may be. But that, that, that is spot on. That, that to me just stymies everybody and, and their ability to say, oh, wait. Because it comes back to my favorite saying, Amanda, everything lives. Everything dies. And death with a purpose gives full meaning to life. And it is so foreign to people that nothing lives without something else dying. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the message that you just shared with that, that grass, whatever that forage material is. It could be black sage in the desert of Nevada. You don't know. I do have one uh, really hard question because we're down to the last two minutes. And John, when I want to know, what are you most optimistic and excited about in the future of agriculture? I'd bring it back to the youth of what we were discussing. I absolutely love and enjoy facilitating, working with, and discussing different agricultural issues with youth within agriculture. I think that many times we talk about our youth in this country in an extremely negative light. Um, but I do think that when you start to discuss and start to put students in agricultural education and you put livestock in their hands or um, you start to open their eyes to the different opportunities that the land truly holds is such a special and unique thing. And I think that we are more powerful than we ever have been as a voice for youth for agriculture. And that's what I will continue to do, whether I'm talking about cows and their and climate perception or whether I'm talking about any other agricultural issue, I am continuing to try to empower youth to have a voice because in all reality, um, members of society do want to listen to what young, the younger generation is thinking and what we are looking into. And that's, I'm, I'm very excited for the opportunities in the future of youth in agriculture and simply working my hardest to empower us. Amanda, do you want to comment? I mean, I agree. I, I guess maybe I'd follow up with one more quick question. What motivates you to tell this story? I would say simply how grateful and blessed I've been to grow up in a ranching lifestyle. Um, I absolutely adore raising Angus cattle um, and the production side of things behind the scenes. 
But then it became an extreme motivator to become a speaker and to become an advocate, not only within my community and my state, but nationwide. So I think that simply my background is the motivator and it makes me extremely excited about the opportunity of not only this TED talk, but the opportunity of our future in agriculture. Be watching for Jonwin Ayers on a TED talk soon. And I'll summarize her in one word, inspirational. Mm -hmm. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connecting food producers to food consumers. For Amanda Radke, John Wynn Ayers, I'm Trent Luce. All three of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a roll route. Have you stopped into High Plains Cattle Supply? What's the pork jerky status? Do I need to replenish that this weekend? Those are the questions. Only you can find out the answers. Walk into High Plains Cattle Supply, Brush, Colorado, and say, Hey, Robert, what's on special this week? Like a burger or something.